Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Actually, let's start at, 19, or let's start at 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we, we thank you that you are Emmanuel that you are the God who desires to be with us, not just here in a church service, but Lord, that you dwell in us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through faith in Christ. Lord, help us to enter into all that that means. Lord, help us to understand it and to live it and experience it. Lord, we thank you for Sally Hess and her life. We thank you that she is experiencing your presence in a way that none of us could even begin to imagine. And Lord, we pray that you would be with Herb, that you would be with Sarah, that you would be with uh, Peter and the rest of uh, the family. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would put your hands upon them and encourage them at this time. Lord, thank you that you're with us through the valleys of the shadow of death and even in the good times and the bad, Lord, and, and for all eternity, that you have pledged yourself to us in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray, be with us now this morning as we open your word. We desire to hear from you, Lord. Save us from simply going through the rituals of a service. Lord, help us to meet with you face to face. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> 23-year-old Jenny was a pretty Christian girl with a seemingly pleasant personality. She had loving parents and came from a good church, but she was torn up inside, having never experienced anything but a depressive life. She had bombed out of college and was on the verge of being fired from her job. She had suffered from eating disorders for several years, and medical treatment for her problems seemed futile. Jenny and I sat together for almost two hours at our first meeting. She claimed to be a Christian, so I challenged her with the biblical truth of who she was in Christ. So we've been studying in Ephesians. I couldn't tell if she was tracking with me or not, but I kept sharing with her the good news of her spiritual identity in Christ. Finally, she said, are you always this positive? It's not a matter of being positive, Jenny, I answered. It's a matter of believing the truth. Because of your spiritual union with God in Christ, this is who you are in Christ. Is it really possible for us to change? Is it really possible for Christians, I mean real Christians, not just nominal Christianity, but real Christians to move forward in the Christian life and find power to really change? Or are we doomed to limp along stuck in the same ruts, stuck in the same patterns, sort of living this depressive life where, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I know someday I'm going to heaven, but for now it's just kind of the same grind, the same sins, the same bitterness, the same hurts, the same uh, hopping back and forth between the world and Christ. 
Does this have to go on our entire Christian existence? Or are we able to move forward in Christ and to really experience victory in this life? Not that any of us would reach perfection in this life. We know that's not true. But that we would actually have progress, that we would grow in Christ. Can it be that 10 years from now I can look back and see that I actually have become more like Christ? Or am I doomed to just hobble along in the same patterns? Well, this morning, that's what I want to wrestle with. Can Jenny, someone like Jenny, really move forward? Or is she just sort of stuck being who she is and everyone just says, well, that's just Jenny. That's just who she is. Let's look at our text. Uh, a little context before our text. Verse 18, Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The first thing, if you remember from last week, Paul is doing is he's praying that God would uh, flip on the lights for the Ephesians. Remember that he would raise the dimmer switch and they would begin to see who they are in Christ. That they'd begin to understand what they have in Christ. Paul's not saying, God, I hope that you bless them. He's saying, I hope that you help them to see the blessings they already have. Uh, and that's what we looked at last week. Remember, Paul prayed for three things, that we would know the hope, that we would know our status in Christ, and finally, verse 19, that we would know the incomparably great power for us who believe. There is power in Jesus Christ. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is a power religion. It is about the power of God at work in our lives. But the question is, is it really enough power to change someone like Jenny in our story? Or, or maybe you know somebody like Jenny. Maybe you are somebody like Jenny. <laughs> you know, maybe you're one of these people who just feels like, yeah, I know I'm a Christian, but I just keep in the Christian life, and I never feel like I really go anywhere. And, and I, I know the person that I want to be in Christ, but I, I just can't seem to ever get anywhere near that. And, and is there really power to get there? What kind of power are we talking about? And so Paul goes on to explain the power. He, he talks about power, and that just sort of sets Paul off. This is typical Paul writing. You know, he, he says something, and that just triggers something in his brain. He goes off on a tangent. And so that's what he's doing here. He just, it's, you know, there's power for us. Oh, you know what that power is like, 19? That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated in him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What kind of power do we have in Christ for living the Christian life? Well, Paul describes it here in these exalted terms. And uh, I notice four things about the power that we have in Christ, the kind of power that it is. If you'll take out your sermon notes, this little insert in your bulletin, uh, you'll see on it, there's some place for taking notes and some little quotes and things. You'll see on the front it says, what kind of power do we have in Christ? And there's one. And then number two is on the next page. And three, and on page three is four. And so that's sort of the, that's where we're going this morning. So in case I get lost in the brambles, you know what I was trying to say. <clears throat> what kind of power do we have in Christ? The first thing I notice is that we have resurrection power. Number one is resurrection power. Look at verse 19 again. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God the Father raised Christ from the dead. I mean, stop right there. 
try to just get your brain around that, that, that Christ is raised. I mean, phew, that's enough right there to, to go home and chew on. Uh, you know, our medical technology is amazing. The things we can do to keep people alive is amazing. And yet the mortality rate persists for human beings at 100%. <laughs> you, know, you know, we only know so much closer to making people live forever and grant them immortality. We have no idea how to stop death, let alone how to reverse death. And yet God, through the power that is his, raised Christ from the dead. This is one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. This is one of the basic things in the Apostles' Creed, that God raised Christ from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there he intercedes for us and someday he'll return to judge the living and the dead. We believe that Christ is alive, not in a spiritual, metaphorical sense, but that you know, the bones of Jesus aren't anywhere on planet Earth. That's what I'm saying. That Christ is raised. And as if that's not amazing enough, he says that the power we have, the power that God has for us, is like that resurrection power. That that same resurrection power that lifted Christ out of the dead is working in us. That's what it means to be a Christian, first and foremost, is that you've experienced the resurrection life of Christ coming into you. If you look down at chapter 2, verse 1, just write down the page there. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Human beings, all human beings, no matter who you are, where you're from, are born spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but spiritually dead. What that means is we're cut off from God because of our sin. Our sin has cut us off from the life of God, and if you're cut off from God, you're dead. And you're as good as dead. And so we're spiritually dead. But then look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. And that's what happens when you're a Christian. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just that you, you convert to a different religion or go to a different church. Becoming a Christian is an experience of being raised from the dead. That God calls us out of our sins and I, I live a new life. That, you know, that's why we call it being born again. Because it's so dramatic, so radical, that it, it's the same kind of power as when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And when I became a Christian, when I was 12 years old and I, I you know, prayed to receive Jesus into my heart in my little Baptist church back in Las Vegas where I grew up, you know, when I became a Christian, I wasn't just praying a little prayer. Christ was saying, Jeremy, come out! And poof, I came to life spiritually. Not because of anything I did. I wasn't even looking for God. But God apprehended me, and he called me out of the grave. And so to be a Christian is to have an experience of God's power giving you a new life. And that power continues to reside in us and to work in us so that I experience it. I, I have these desires in my heart now. I want to be a godly person. I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. Uh, and where are those desires coming from? It's from that resurrection life that's welling up in me. So that even as my physical body will get old and then decay and finally die, even as I'm outwardly wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day in this resurrection life. And someday, this is the best part, someday that resurrection life that's in me will well up to a physical resurrection. Uh, it says here, Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. 
Uh, like I said, I, I got to go in and see Sally before uh, she passed away. I went in on Friday, and you know, here's this lady whose body is just about spent. She's laying there in ICU, and she's got all these machines hooked up to her. And you know, what can you do? The doctors don't even know what to do, and they're trying all the medicines and drugs, and you know, she still continues to go downhill. And yet, as you look at this physical shell that is dying away, to know that there is a resurrection life that is pulsating in her, that, that is so overwhelming, that it's like a nuclear weapon, it's just you know, ready to go. And that someday at the return of Christ, that, that resurrection life will finally well up and she will rise. And if we were to see her on that day today, we might be tempted to worship her because of the glory that will be ours in Christ at the resurrection. We might be mistaken and mistake her for an angel or something and bow down, as often happens when angels appear to people in the Bible. That's the resurrection life that's in us. And, you know, it's hidden right now, but someday it will come into visibility at the resurrection. But there's more. <laughs> you know. But wait, there's more. <laughs> it's like one of those infomercials. Um, you know, it's not just resurrection life. As if that weren't enough, Paul goes on to describe, not only do we have a resurrection life within us, <clears throat> but it's also, number two, what I'll call enthronement power. We have a resurrection power, we have an enthronement power. Look back at verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You know, what happened to Jesus' body after it was raised? You know, where'd it go? Well, it went to heaven. You know, where's heaven? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. I've never been there, so I can't tell you. I just know that, it, you know, it's like another dimension or something, but, you know, he went away. He went to heaven. So that the physical body, the raised Jesus Christ, is still alive. It's dwelling in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He never ceased to exist. He's been alive now for 2,000 years, raised, seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come back. And as he's there, he's interceding for us. He's, he's praying for the saints. And notice where he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now that's important because in ancient thought, the right hand was the position of power and authority. To put someone on your right hand was essentially to give that person your authority and your power to act on your behalf. You know, we, we use the phrase today, you're my right hand man. Same idea, except maybe even more so. And so you would sometimes see kings uh, in carvings, you know, you, you know, archaeologists find these carvings and they uncover them and, and you'll see a, an engraving where the, the god will be sitting there, and the king will be sitting on the right side of the god. So what it's saying is that the, the person has the same power and authority given to them by the god. And so when we say that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it means that he has the same honor, prominence, preeminence, authority, and all that. And that same power that was given to Christ to reign at the Father's right hand is also ours. Look at now this, this verse. is just going to rock you. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 6. I mean, I just try to understand this. It's so beyond me. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ, there's the resurrection power, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. I'm seated with Christ spiritually. In other words, in God's eyes, in, in God's sort of hierarchy of who's important and who's where and who's what, who's who and who's in and who's out, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I'm, I'm with Him. I'm, I'm next to Him. You know, He's next to the Father, and I'm, in a sense, next to Him. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. I, what does that mean? Well, one thing it means is that we can pray confidently. 
That's why the Bible says when Christians pray, we can go boldly to the Father in, in, in confidence. You don't have to talk to a priest. You don't pray to the saints. That's just poppycock. <laughs> you don't pray to me. You pray straight to the Father because you are in Christ. And you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You have access to Him. I kind of imagined it this way. Uh, it's imagined if you went to a, a, a banquet of state and the president himself was there and the vice president. Well, I guess they're not seen together these days, but uh, you know, imagine that they were. And, and you're somewhere out in the, the cheap seats and the president's way up on the platform and he's sitting there and next to him is the vice president. And over to your table comes a Secret Service agent. He taps you on the shoulder and he says, can you come with me, please? You know, what have I done? Oh, nothing, nothing. Just come with me. And, and he, he leads you around and, and, pass, and he leads you up onto the platform and he puts you in the chair right next to the vice president. So now it's president, vice president, and you. And then you just sort of enjoy your meal. And while everyone else is out there chit-chatting with people around their table, you're chit-chatting with the vice president and the president. I mean, you know, it's like, what would you say? You could say anything to them. You could, you know, you'd say, you know, I, I've been meaning to ask you for something. Because you have this, this sort of intimacy. You're sitting with them. And in a sense, that's what's happened to us in Christ. We have been raised from death. And by the grace of God, not because anything in us, that's for sure, but by God's grace, he's raised us, lifted us out of sin, and placed us in a, a position of power and authority and honor. That we can sit with Christ and that we can talk to God boldly and directly. That you can get on your knees and just say, God, Father. And he says, yes, son. Yes, daughter. <laughs> I don't even think I even understand that fully. I don't think I've experienced that. That's what Paul wants us to understand, our position in Christ. And I'll tell you, if, if I can get that, I know it'll change the way I pray. I know it will. That's number three, though. We've got to move on here. What kind of power do you have in Christ? You have resurrection power. You have enthronement power. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And then number three, there is overcoming power. Overcoming power. Look at verse 20. Actually, we'll read 19 and 20 again. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There's resurrection power. And seated him in the heavenly realms at his right hand. That's enthronement power. And then number 21, far, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Now what is he talking about? Rule and authority, power and dominion. Well, Look, out, uh, look down in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. What are the powers and authority? Follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So there is some kind of spiritual being. We know him as Satan and his minions, but there's some kind of power that's at work, in a sense, kind of in the air. You know, it's, it's hovering, it's, it's around us, that exerts some kind of controlling negative influence on humanity that's at work in our, us whenever we're disobedient. And so, you know, the devil's at work in us. He's tempting us. He's, he's causing us to, to despair, to not believe God's word, and he's always working on us. You don't have to be a Satan worshiper to be influenced by Satan. You just have to be greedy. You just have to be selfish. You know, I just have to be my natural self, and, I'm, and he's already starting to lead me where he wants me to go. And so there's this, this spiritual power that's at work over the world. You see it again in chapter 3, verse 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly realm. So again, the rulers and authorities are not earthly rulers and authorities. We're talking about spiritual forces. And then finally, the, the clearest text is chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with the Unitarians. It's not with the Democrats. It's not with the Republicans. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The crusader mentality is, is not right. We're not trying to defeat any physical people in battle. The battle we have is a spiritual one against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, okay, that's kind of a survey. So when Paul says here that Christ is exalted over the powers, you know, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that in this world, there are spiritual forces of evil. Uh, Satan and his demonic minions are, are around us, and they, they exert a, an influence upon the earth. Not that we can say, well, the devil made me do it and excuse responsibility. We're responsible for our own actions. But there's a temptation, there's a power that's at work corrupting God's creation. Uh, we, we don't know much more about it than that. But I'll tell you, that would have resonated with people in the first century. Because the people in the first century believed in the spiritual realm. You know, they believed in gods and goddesses and demigods and spirits and, and daemons and you know, eons and all these sort of spiritual beings and they gave them different names. And people in the, in the ancient world practiced magic. When I say magic, I don't mean like, you know, pick a card, any card. You know, I mean like real magic where, you know, what, essentially what magic is, is it's, it's calling upon and trying to harness spiritual powers to do your bidding. That's, it's very self-serving. It's if I can get this power on my side, then I can get them to go over and curse my neighbor whose dog won't start bark, bark, you know, barking. That's magic. And it's trying to use powers and, and things for your advantage. And so people kind of lived in fear of these powers, and they'd wear protective amulets, you know, because they didn't want to be cursed, and they didn't want things to happen to them. And Paul is saying, uh, yeah, those things are real. But Christ is powerful. He has been raised over them. That's a word for the 21st century. Increasingly today in our culture, people are dabbling in the occult. Tarot cards, psychics, yoga, meditation, you know, people are into this stuff, and, 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 they, and they find that it works. You know, it's, they're tapping into something, and you've got to say, yeah, it is working. You are tapping into something. It may not be what you want to be tapping into, but you are tapping into something. I was talking to some friends of mine who go to this church. They live in Hingham, and they have some friends, another couple in Hingham, uh, who are uh, witches. There's neighbors, and they're he's a warlock, she's a witch. I guess some people, you know garden, <laughs> and some people, I don't know, mountain bike, and some people are, you know, witches, I guess. Uh, that's what they do for fun. Uh, so, so, you know, they go into their house sometimes, and there's pentagrams on the walls, and pentagrams on the floor with candles, and all, you know, just all that weird stuff. And they, they have a big holiday they celebrate, Halloween. Come on over to our Halloween party, you know. I don't know if I want to go to the Halloween party. <laughs> it's the real deal. And, you know, this is in Hingham. You know, Hingham, right here. <laughs> These are college-educated, working people. It, and they're just into the occult. And so if you were to go to them and say, you know, there are powers, rulers, and authorities, they'd say, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, talk to them. You want me to talk to them for you? You know, I, I'm in contact with them. And, whew, and this is going on increasingly in our culture. 
and people are opening up and they're, they're pulling on the string of the supernatural, something's pulling back. But it's not necessarily good. And so we come into this situation, we do not deny the reality of the spiritual, we do not deny that there are forces beyond our comprehension, but we proclaim that Christ is enthroned all authorities and powers and dominions. In fact, he's not just enthroned above. Look at the text, verse 21. He's enthroned far above, far above. That's a cool word in Greek. It's huperano. Ano is, uh, ana is a, a preposition or a, um, uh, an adverb meaning above or higher than. Uh, and then hooper is, well, you know, super, hyper. That's where we get that word from. So it's hyper above, super, hyper, way up above. So it's not just that Christ is, you know, a notch up above the powers. I mean, he's just way up there. Yeah, just like there's the earth, and then there's clouds that cover the earth, but then way above the clouds, way, way, way out in space is the sun. So in the same way, we live on planet earth, and yes, there are some powers of darkness at work, but the God that we worship is exalted way, you know, like the sun, so far above that there's no comparison between the two. Christ is over the powers. He has conquered them. He has subjugated them. And so that power is ours. That means we don't have to fear the devil's schemes. Again, look at chapter 6, verse 10. We studied this last week. Remember the whole thing about Gandalf, the Balrog, that whole thing? Three days till Lord of the Rings, by the way. Uh, That's what these three candles mean. In case you didn't know. That was really sacrilegious. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His what? Mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So before I became Christ, before I came to Christ, I was just, you know, Satan just led me wherever he wanted to go. He shook the carrot over there. I, you know, went over there. He shook the carrot over there. He was, I was just his puppet. I just followed whatever he wanted me to do mindlessly. And... Uh, Now, though, in Christ, I've been rescued, raised, enthroned, and now I have an authority in Christ to resist the devil and to stand against temptation, to stand against despair and anything the devil would want to throw at me. You don't have to continue in sin if you're in Christ. You have power not to. You have power to resist because we have the overcoming power, the same power that gave Christ conquest over the demons and Satan and all the forces of wickedness. Okay, one more thing though. Number four, also exaltation power. Resurrection, enthronement, overcoming, exaltation. Look at verse 22. Christ is exalted far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion over all those forces of evil. And also over every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Over every name, over every title, the ancient world was filled with names. It was filled with gods. There were household gods, local gods. If you're in a trade, you know, if you're in a union, there was a union god you had to pay homage to. There was the town god. There was several city gods. There were all the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. The emperor was a god. And so you had all these titles and names that you had to you know, make sure that you uh, paid homage to in the right way. And and not only was there a lot of gods, there, were, it was a, there was a syncretistic understanding so that you kind of mix and match. 
you know, you do the town god and the, and the local god and the emperor worship and the, the god of your trade guild. And, you know, just want to cover all your bases. And so people, you know, were involved trying to please and, and uh, give into all these gods' demands so that everything would go well with them. And so the Christians come along and they get in trouble. Why? Because the Christians proclaim Jesus Christ. What about the other gods? No, Jesus Christ. Exalted above every name. And so do you know what the Romans called Christians? Atheists. Isn't that funny? That was, that was the slur that Romans gave to Christians. Oh, they're the atheists. Because they wouldn't worship all the gods. They're just stuck on this one guy, Jesus. And they wouldn't get past that. And they would say, no, he is exalted. He is God above all gods. And, and the Romans, you know, they, they just thought the Christians were out to lunch. Hey, same thing's happening today. We live in a pluralistic culture. In America today, you can find every type of religion there is. But it's also a syncretistic culture. We also mix and match, cut and paste. You know, it, it, in fact, it's hard to find someone today who says, yes, I'm devoutly dedicated to this one religion. I mean, it's almost uncool to say that. You're supposed to say, well, yeah, I take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you know, I'm open to lots of different things. And, and you know, religion is kind of a big clam chowder. You know, there's lots of bits of things floating around in it, and it's all just sort of a big soupy mix. I was watching uh, TV the other day. I don't know why. Whenever I see these psychic shows, I always stop. But um, they crack me up. But there was this lady on there. I didn't know it was a psychic show at first. But, uh, but this guy was a psychic. Actually, he's not a psychic. He's a medium. He, he communicates with the dead and then tells you what the dead have to say to you. And uh, there's this lady on there whose daughter, her husband had died, and she had been really worried about her, her husband and what happened to him and was he okay. And the mother was on there saying, I'm so glad she got a reading today. I'm so glad she got a reading. She goes, I was praying to God to help her. And, and finally God helped her and she heard from her dead husband. You know, it's like, holy train wreck, Batman, you know. What? <laughs> like, you're, you're praying to God and then you're like going to a medium, you know. And it's just, you know, whatever. You throw a little of this, throw a little of that. And you just mix it around and you kind of come up with your own chowder. And, and so you're, it's okay to worship Jesus today just so long as you're able to say that he's one piece of potato in the clam chowder. As long as you're willing to admit that, then it's okay if you worship Jesus. But the second you start saying, Jesus is Lord, then <laughs> the culture rears up. Who are you to claim that Jesus is Lord? And so we have this power, this, this exaltation power. What does that mean for us? Well, I think for us that means that we have the authority to proclaim Christ. You know, who are we to proclaim Christ? Uh, we've uh, just this week sent out mailings to everyone in Hingham, inviting them to our Christmas Eve service. In fact, I have some of those uh, extras. If you want to take one home and give it out to somebody as an invitation, uh, there's some up here, there's some out in the foyer when you leave. You know, take this and give it to someone and say, hey, come to Christmas Eve services. But I was thinking, what right do I have to mail this and invite everyone in Hingham to our church? I mean, really, that might be seen as kind of rude. And I was thinking about that, like, what right do I have to mail this to everyone in Hingham? And then I thought, oh, I know. I, Christ has given me the right. He said, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why you can tell people about Jesus. That's why you can invite people to church, because you have authorization from the top to do it. You know, we always, at missions time, we talk about going to all the world and preach the gospel. But we forget that first part of the verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's because Christ is exalted over all 
that he has authorized me to speak on his behalf and authorized you to speak on his behalf. And so don't back out. Don't chicken out. Don't back down. Speak. Invite. Do it kindly and nicely, of course. Don't be rude, but speak the name of Christ. Don't be afraid. We have power in Christ. We have a resurrection power that's at work in us, transforming us. We have an enthronement power that gives us special access to God in prayer, among other things. We have an overcoming power that gives us victory over the powers of darkness. We can resist the devil. And number three, we have an, an exaltation power. Christ is above all other names. Christ alone, he has given us the authority to proclaim that despite how people may feel about it. And we have to just accept that and understand it and live it out. I'll read you the end of the story about Jenny. Um, the author says, I was in the midst of planning a one-month spiritual retreat for some of our seminary students. It was going to be an intensive, highly relational Christian experience, and I suddenly knew that Jenny needed to be there, even though she wasn't a seminary student. I called her and invited her, and miraculously she agreed to attend. The store where she worked even gave her a month off to attend. Shortly after she arrived, I sat down with Jenny privately, and I said, I didn't invite you here to change your behavior, Jenny. Your behavior isn't the root problem. I've always been told that my behavior is my problem, she answered, looking a little surprised at my statement. Everyone I know is trying to change my behavior. I'm not as worried about your behavior. It's your beliefs I'm interested in. I want to change your beliefs about who God is and who you are in Christ. You're not a failure. You're not a sick individual who is a problem to your parents and to your church. You are a child of God. No better and no worse than any other person at this retreat. I want you to start believing it because it's the truth. And for the first time in her life, Jenny had been affirmed as a child of God, and she began to believe it. During the next 30 days, as she studied the Bible, that's how we access the power of God. As she prayed, that's how we access the power of God. As she interacted with supporting students, the community of the church is how we access the power of God. A miraculous transformation took place in Jenny. The changes were nothing less than dramatic. And when Jenny returned home, her father beamed. I've never seen Jenny this happy and content. She's a different person. She was also a completely different employee. After two weeks, her boss called her in and showed her the performance review he had prepared while she was gone. It was so bad that she deserved to be terminated. But you've changed, Jenny, her boss remarked. I'm not going to fire you. Instead, you're, he actually gave her a raise. What changed Jenny? God changed Jenny. Her beliefs about God and herself changed her. She was a child of God by faith all along. She just began to walk by faith, seeing herself for who she really was in Christ. Her behavior began to conform to the truth of her spiritual identity. And the same is true of us. We are in Christ. We are His people, and His power is ours. It's a matter of knowing it, believing it, and walking in it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it gives us. Lord, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might see the power that we have in Christ. Approach you directly with prayer requests. Lord, that we might have confidence to resist sin and not see ourselves as just at the mercy of temptation. And Lord, give us confidence in your power to proclaim your exaltation, even though it's unpopular and sounds just totally backwards to the culture. Help us to lovingly and kindly and humbly proclaim the exaltation of Christ over all names. Lord, fill us up with your power. We desire to live a Christianity that is full not only of truth but also of power. 
Lord, we desire to be changed into the image of Christ by your power. And so, Lord, we pray, pour it out on your church through the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.